0: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And
1: I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Heart. Welcome to Talk Heart. What's going on, Rob? We're at the Serpentine. What? I know, I'm I'm really excited and it's a beautiful summer's day.
0: Stunning day. We have just been in traffic in the heat, but it was a London taxi, so there was some air coming through. And now we're
1: surrounded by trees and we're in our guests' office looking out onto Hyde Park.
0: But surrounded by books now in our and guests' office.
1: Books everywhere which um, is interesting because our guest today has written a lot of great books over the years. I think these
0: might all be his books that he's written. There's so many.
1: (laughs) And I think also um, a lot of his early interest in art came through... Um, reading interviews so uh, of artists with critics and things. So we will discuss that as well. Yes. But we would like to welcome super curator Hans, Hans Rick Rick
2: Obrist. Obrist. Hi, Hans. Hi, how are you? Welcome to The Serpentine. It's great you're here. And um, uh, yeah, we are in Kensington Gardens. And I was actually wondering the day today, because Arie Obrit had this nice idea that he was always marked the moment, so he said the day. But I forgot what's the day today. Do you You've remember? You've got two phones in front of you, Hans. Always two phones. Yeah. Do you remember what's the day today? Is it the 17th? 17th? Yeah, so we can do the weighty thing. So it's the 17th day. Uh, it's the seventh month. It's the 19th year. It's the second decade. It's the first century. It's the third millennium. And we're in London so
0: what does that mean? <laughs>
1: it means we can celebrate this moment. Oh, is it like a
0: numerology <laughs> thing you're giving us? I <laughs> love of, that. Yeah. We can add up all the numbers. Why have you got two phones?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, one is my personal phone and the other one is the office phone. Ah. And then it's also just, I'm always worried if one wouldn't work, but then I would have no phone. So it's always good. And then, uh, yeah, it's... It doubles. Are you, are you yeah. quite
0: dependent on a phone then? Always. Is that just for like scheduling because you're such a busy man?
2: No, it's for lots of things. I mean, I, I use... Um, I use a lot of WhatsApp and um, messages and then also Instagram, Yes. because I started this movement of Instagram (laughs) a couple of years ago to kind of protest against the disappearance of handwriting and doodling, because I was concerned that, uh, you know, I used to always write letters, receive letters, postcards, and then little by little this disappeared. And I started to realize also that people in general use handwriting less, and then um, Umberto Eco, the late Italian novelist and uh, writer and semiologist, he, he once told me, you know, he really thinks that handwriting and calligraphy shouldn't disappear. We should come up with an idea to kind of bring it back. And then I was uh, basically on a walk with the great artists uh, Ite Ladnan and Simon mm. Fatal and Kour my partner. And we were basically um, in, in Brittany, in France, and it rains there a lot, so all of a sudden it started to rain. and. Would not stop, so we had to find shelter. We went to a coffee shop and we had a long conversation and the rain was persistent. And so after about three hours we were still there waiting for the rain to stop. And you know, after about three hours of conversation, Ku and Simone and I went on our phone, started to answer a few emails, whilst Etel, the 93-year-old poet and artist, took out a notebook and started to write a poem. And, and I- as I had not seen this in a long time, so it's very beautiful. I took a picture. And posted it on Instagram. And that's what I've done ever since. You know, I have artists, poets, handwrite letters and um uh and so so that's why I need my phone a lot. Is to Did do Did any it.
0: of them ever say no? Has any of them said no I'm not gonna write you something? Or has everyone uh, been quiet? Yeah, the only
2: one who didn't wanna do it was Ray Kawakubo Oh really? Uh, because she says that is your project, not mine. I don't understand it. So she that's cool. the only one uh, She's the Comme de Garçon designer. Exactly. Yes. She's the only one who's ever turned it down. And then you know, at a certain moment, I felt it's. I always ask artists to do, uh, you know, a sentence or a statement or sometimes a doodle. Um, and then it became a friend of mine it's a bit repetitive. Uh, it was actually, uh, you know, uh, a bit repetitive, you know. But then I said at the same time, it's the movement is ongoing. You know, yes. it's not that we need to stop it because there still needs to be more handwriting and doodling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we were with um, Ben Vickers, uh, the the uh, artist and, and writer and the CTO of the Serpentine. And, uh, in a in a conference actually, and Ben suddenly said out of the blue, "Why don't you do exquisite corpse?" You know, because yeah. basically, the oh, Surrealist wow. tradition it's this wonderful game. Breton wrote about it, and and the Surrealists did it all the time. Uh, it was a, par-
0: a parlor game, wasn't it?
2: Exactly, and yes. you fold a piece of paper in three, four, five, five parts. Yeah, and so then someone does the head, someone does the torso, yeah. someone does the legs. So. I love and exquisite can do it, corpse, and you can also do it with. Um, you can do it. I think these are the, yeah the text Thanks. And you can also do it with um, with poems, as Agnes Wada showed me. You can One can write the poem. So it can be with drawing or with text.
0: Oh, so you, f- you complete the middle of the line. Exactly. So what's the it. structure for the poem if it's done in three sections?
2: Yeah, I mean, you basically said someone you know puts in a verb, someone puts in a, you know, there's a rule of the game, and then yeah. at the end it gives you a sentence. Wow. I and think David uh, Bowie
1: would have loved that, because that was how he used to write his song lyrics. He used to cut up words and then, like, let them all... Be assembled, you know. He would like pick out words that he'd cut up. I think.
2: well like collage them and then make? Yeah, the kind of. Yeah. Really. I think
1: that's how he worked. Wow. with his lyrics?
2: That's amazing. So, um, so then we did exquisite corpses, and so that's now like an Instagram within my Instagram. It's like yeah. a, you know, <laughs> and then and then about um, a year ago, maybe no, maybe six months ago, <clears throat> I started to think questions that it would be somehow interesting to actually not only have statements and doodles and uh, exquisite corpses, but actually. Have artists ra- ask a question, and so now every day I post a question, and that of course has changed because then we get lots of lots of answers. So you today, get com- Emma's commenting on that, right? Yeah. So today I saw Brian Eno, and he has got a really important question, which is about growth. What is it we want to be growing? Okay. What do you think? I mean, what he refers to, I think, is of course that the economy. Has followed uh, for many years a sort of a paradigm of permanent growth, and hasn't really taken into consideration um, care, but also the environment, and which is why we are, you know, in this ecological disaster the world is in. And so, mm. um, my professor, actually, because I studied economy and ecology, it was kind of the theme I studied at university. My professor was this uh, Swiss guru, Binswanger, and he, early on, in the 70s, 80s, I sat with him in the late 80s, he said we need to bring in ecology into economy, and that would, of course, lead to certain limits of growth, you know, Mm. and and not uh, endless growth, because we need to consider the effect it has in terms of depletion of resources and the environment. So I I do believe it has to do with certain theories of economy, what prime means, and and also, I mean, this very interesting book about the donut economy which just came out What's he a, mentioned i'm going to read it now i just on. ordered it I oh you, it you, out. Don't, I mean, you can't tell us but, about the donut no but economy. he but uh, brian says we should all read it so okay yeah. brian eno says yeah. this right, so well, we're all going to go home
1: and read the donut economy and, we'll and actually s devlin donuts. told me
2: the same thing last week oh really yeah, which, yeah so i'm definitely going to read this book interesting right
1: um something that's always really fascinated me about you is your capacity for knowledge and you, whenever I've heard you speak in public or in interviews, the amount of kind of reference points you can give and uh, the kind of enthusiasm you have for other humans and the way even just now you've mentioned so many different names from all different creative disciplines who are all completely remarkable people as well. Um, Was that always something you had since you were a young child? Because I'm quite fascinated in this idea of you as this famous person and as this celebrated curator and person that's helped so many artists. But... um, also about, but going back to you as the person and finding out, you know how how you've evolved into this incredible human that you are.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of grew up in Switzerland, and you know when you grow up in Switzerland, you you don't see the sea because the mountains, you know, block the view to the sea, and uh, and then also like I was somehow as a single child, you know, in a small. Oh, you're, you're an only child. Yeah, oh. and then I felt, as an the only child, I felt a bit lonely sometimes in a you know small small town in Switzerland, and so. From very early on i had a kind of an urge to connect and you know meet people and so that had to do with that but i think the, the whole idea of curiosity was really triggered when because i always think it's very interesting what the first place the first museums we visit as a as a as a child you know and and um and, and so for me it was actually not the museum it was a library for instance, oh, wow. like the book books and and my my parents took me when i was like five or something they took me to uh the monastery library of St. Gallen, which is also the city where I then studied with, you know, this economist Binswanger, yeah. who was early on into ecology, and um, and St. Gallen has a very famous monastery in the Middle Ages. There is the famous cloister plan, the monastery plan from the 11th century. Uh, the, the monastery then burned down, but the library was saved, and they rebuilt it during the age of the Rococo. So it has a very beautiful Rococo space with all these medieval, you know, manuscripts and um, handwritten books.
0: What years Rococo? Is that still medieval times? No, that it? was much
2: later. In, right. the, in much later, they rebuilt, you know, the in the Rococo style. The, in the Rococo style, they built okay. the library. But as they had saved the medieval books, uh, you know, as a child, I discovered these medieval books, and I remember always that first visit because. My parents took me there, and we had to get these felt shoes on, so they're not to damage the floor. Oh wow! So then you walk completely silently in the space in these felt shoes, and one could actually make an appointment. And then when I sort of saw that you can make an appointment, I told my parents I want an appointment, so they made an appointment, and then we went. And one could actually, with white gloves, you know, look wow. at some of these um, at some of these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have the memory of these gloves and of the of the fell truths and of the, the silent walk and the time travel, you know, it was something like for me as a child really impressive that I could touch something from eleven hundred or and, and and then I sort of started to read about these monasteries and um and I was really fascinated by this idea that um the monks wanted to know everything, you know, all the knowledge in the world. And I mean that's something uh, which at that time, you know, uh, it was always impossible, but at least maybe appeared to be possible. Uh, and of course, by the time I was born, it was an impossibility to know everything. But it sort of triggered my curiosity to kind of want to know everything, or wow. the desire to want to know everything. Wow. And then I would say the other thing, which was important about this this um, this experience, was was also the idea that I then read as a as a you know later on when I was maybe twelve or something, I read about this because I went we went often back to this library and I read about the migrating monks who would live in a monastery you know accumulate all the knowledge and then go to the next monastery so i thought as a teenager i could do the same with cities you know because by the time i was like 16 or 17 i became very obsessed by more contemporary art i, I saw i saw a chacometti sculpture in zurich which these long thin figures of chacometti yep, and i was yep. really attracted to that and was uh, it in a museum or was it... was like, in the Kunsthaus in a museum in was Zurich. Was it
0: like a show of all of his work or was it one piece?
2: No, it was a whole room because the Kunsthaus Zurich has one of the biggest collections of Giacometti. And so wow. they had early surrealist work and then his you know, signature style with these long wow, thin figures, yeah, but they also had paintings. But I was particularly attracted to these long, thin, almost immaterial figures. And, um, and then from there, I started to buy a lot of postcards and um, with my pocket money, you know... A, my parents gave me I would buy many 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 art postcards and I would start to go to all the museums and buy postcards of all my favourite paintings and start to have this little museum in my room you know at my parents house where I would curate first exhibitions no
0: way when you put different postcards up and make different shows yeah
2: that is amazing that's that's kind of how it began that's awesome (laughs) love have you still got the postcards yeah yeah they're at my mother's home are they wow so how many do you think you've got Maybe a thousand. Do you still collect them now? No, I stopped uh, collecting postcards when I when I started went to university. Art. And yeah. Uh, yeah, when I went to university, really, because that kind of postcard museum was then accomplished. And then I actually started to curate exhibitions, real exhibitions, you know, in my student apartment. But before that, there were these migrating years. So, so oh, sorry, I,
0: yeah, you had your first show in your apartment, didn't in you? In the kitchen, yeah. In yeah, in the that, kitchen of your apartment. Yeah. But that, that took quite
2: some time because I was sort of between 16 and 17, and 21, 22, when I started then to do my apartment exhibitions, um, I went on these endless train journeys because I realized that as a student in Europe, you can buy these tickets, these interrail oh, yeah, tickets. yeah, And for, a, for very little money, you can just travel uh, in the European railway network for an entire month. And so I had no money for hotels, but I found out this uh, methodology that I or this, you know, basically travel plan that I could just go from city to city and always sleep on the night train. And then I didn't need a hotel and the train wow. was for free. Wow. So I would do 30 cities in 30 days in Europe. I would go from Vienna. To fog. Something a- Around the world in 80 days. Sort of <laughs> exactly, around, around Europe. Europe it days. was always a very European channel because I didn't have money to go beyond that. So it was always at the European train network. And then, you know, I sort of would stay in a city and make studio visits, but I had to go to the next city in order to kind of spend the night on the train. But I would then come back. So I would often do back and forth, back and forth, because I needed to go several times. What years was this? 87, 89. And so it's obviously before the World Wide Web. How did you organize
0: studio visits then with these people? How did you get in contact with them? There was
2: this book called The Art Diary, which was published by Flash Art, And it was kind of a book where you just had all the telephone numbers. The artwork no. was much smaller then.
0: What, of the artists? You had studios?
2: artists, curators, museum directors, institutions and galleries for each city. Wow, that's so cool. You know, the art was just smaller then, you know, that's yeah, kind of unthinkable yeah. now. It was much smaller. And so then, of course, you know, I would always find a way to find people and even if often... Well-known artist number would not be in this book, but then I would have a friend who would introduce me to a friend, and it was really, you know, fishly wise. The Swiss artist became yeah. who did this poster, how to work better. I know, on. I saw it's that when posters. I yes, That's I in, in new York, I
0: isn't mind. it? At the moment, they were it up on the yeah. wall, a mural there. They
2: did it as a mural. Let's do one thing at the time. It's number one, two, know the problem. Three, learn to listen. Four, learn to ask questions. Five, distinguish sense from nonsense six accept changes inevitable seven mistakes eight say it's simple nine be calm and ten smile and so they <laughs> i was in their studio when i was 17 and they did this chain reaction their famous film yep. the way yes. things go yes. and then like a domino like, effect
0: going through domino yeah, yeah. I and, and,
2: and i was really impressed as a teenager to see that process of the film mm-hmm. and that's really when i decided that i wanted to become a curator and work with artists
1: and they the were in your first show weren't they in, in the kitchen show
2: they were in the kitchen show. Which
1: I love because I think they're, they're pretty much up there as my yeah, pinnacle of what
0: I think is great What in was art. the work that <laughs> they showed in your kitchen?
2: They did um, basically, yeah, because they, they had also the idea for my kitchen show together with Christian Bultansky. They, they started always, wherever I am, like in this office, there are lots of books. Mm. And because I just had always to be surrounded by books. And then the kitchen was also full of books And they felt it's kind of weird that they're in this student apartment and, you know, I never cooked. So I would always go to a coffee shop for breakfast and I would never cook. And so they felt, you know, we kind of need to make this kitchen a kitchen and we need to evacuate the book. And so that was the idea of the show. It (laughs) was kind of a joke. They said, this is kind of not normal that even the kitchen (laughs) is a library. They kind of need to make this a normal apartment. So we get these books out of the kitchen and bring in food. So they ordered these uh, huge quantities of food for, for restaurants, you know, because restaurants would not order a small, basically, quantity of noodles or <laughs> tomato sauce or, you know, chocolate pudding or whatever. But, you know, all these things you could buy in tins or, you know, also dried like have noodles and stuff, it would, 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 it would be instead of 200 grams or 500 grams, it would be five kilograms or 10 kilograms, like huge packages for For restaurant supply. And so they would order these very big, you know, tins and bags and sort of fill it or fit it into the kitchen. And that means of course it looked very strange because it's almost like when as a child small things appear quite big to you Mm. because you're small. Yeah. And then and then as a child, and then when you grow up, suddenly the things don't appear so giant anymore. So it was this weird memory of childhood because suddenly you saw, you know, a tin or you saw a package of noodle, but it was far too big yeah. in the wow. kitchen, and you thought like, "Wow!" And you sort of became almost a child again. That's so so it has to do oh, with he that.
0: does it with of Robert Therion, is that you say
1: his name?
0: Oh, you he, mean the, the giant ones. He does like, the Giant chairs. I saw one in Hampstead Heath. Ones. The giant chairs and table. He yes, died and recently. Yes, I,
2: I did a long interview with him Robert Ther- a, a few Therion? months ago. Robert Therion. Yeah. And he very sadly passed away. He but right? so I made recently. a studio visit with him, and he was actually very, very moving because when we went to the studio, um, in his studio, he it was like a house. And so to see some of these objects, including the table, not in a museum but in a house—oh wow! Domestic situation, yeah. So I really hope. Also, the cupboard was filled with these oversized items, and I really hope that that his studio house will become a museum because it could almost—it's in Los Angeles—and I really hope they make it as they transform it into a museum because it's a beautiful house museum. It could become like a bit like the Sir John Soane's house, of a brilliant. It makes well, me think of Martin Creed as great, well. Like know. you know, we, we,
0: we interviewed Martin Creed for the yeah. podcast, and he has the neon mothers that was at the um, Hayward Gallery. And I was saying it's like the Muppet Babies, where you, yeah, the, the Muppet the Babies mothers. they only see the, the legs, and it's like the mothers is this huge yeah. Yeah, things. It yeah. makes you feel like a child again.
1: And I heard that you um, one of the earliest things that sort of got encouraged you to get into art was from reading again. But you were reading interviews where artists would talk to other people. So maybe David Sylvester and Francis Bacon, Bacon is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, can you mention that and how that kind of inspired you? Because obviously, interviews have become such a big part of your life.
0: Uh, and this is an ongoing thing, as well as getting the artist to give you a sentence, a poetic sentence, or a question. The interviews for you is a thing that you you've got a lifelong commitment
2: yeah. to. Yeah, there are about three thousand hours now, and it's definitely you know um, a growing archive. Because it's 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 either way the the memory of my of my encounters, and and as you say, you know, reading. Conversations with artists triggered that because before I started to actually meet artists and before when I was 17, I, I then had the courage to just bring up Fish Weiss and say, you know, I'm a teenager, I love your work, can I visit? And and obviously because I was so young, people were very open. And uh, But before I had this courage to do so, I was too shy for a couple of years to do it. But between sort of 15 and 17, I would read all these conversations with artists and through that grew the desire to meet the artists. So, 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 yeah, absolutely, as you say, I would read the the many conversations David Sylvester had with Francis Bacon. And then I thought like, wow, you know, one can have a lifelong conversation with an artist, not just do one conversation, but go deeper and deeper. And that mm. that became somehow um, a thing I'm also doing because I talk to artists not only once, but again and again. And then I would say another book, which was really important also in, in that regard was, of course, these interviews with our conversations with um, uh, I don't know if I have it here with uh, Goethe, you know, because there is this um, uh, um, th- this interview book with the German writer Goethe mm-hmm. um, and more than 200 years ago. And and I read that. And then also Brassai with Picasso, I remember. Oh. And, um, and and then, you know, all of a sudden, after having read all these conversations with artists, I just had an incredible urge to meet the artists. And that's how these studio visits then started. The first artist was Claude Santo, who is a Swiss artist in Luzern. I saw a show of his in St. Gallen and I, you know, in a Kunstverein, and I said, I really have to meet this artist. So he gave me the telephone number, and I would ring him up. And then from there, it went to Fischli Weiss. And then Fischli Weiss, it also became a chain reaction, because the artist would then say, wow, you know, you should meet our friend X or Y or Z. Yeah, yeah. So Fischli Weiss sent me to HR Giger. So that became one of the very early studio visits, the... <laughs> Um, artists who invented Alien Amazing. a true Alien wow. uh, and then well that's quite typical of their work for them to do that chain reaction <laughs> then, isn't it Yeah. the chain reaction became a chain reaction in my life. Wow. and then they also connected me to um, to Jeff Koons and Alighiero Boetti so I went because we went at that time I was still at the Lyceum at high school and so we went on a school trip to Rome and officially uh, Vice said you know in case you're bored on the school trip you should ring up our friend Boetti. Alighiero Boetti and wow. then and then he, that was really a very important day because he he spent the day with me and he basically said, you know, if you want to become a curator, you should not do what curators often do, which means like squeeze artists into a box, you know, because he says I was always called an arte povera artist, but yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm an artist and I'm not mm. part of a box. Mm. And you should not put people in a box, but also you should listen, listen, this idea of listening, you know, and... And one should not come with a predetermined idea, but actually listen to what artists really want to do. Because mm-hmm. he says he's always invited to do the same thing, like group mm-hmm. shows in biennales or sometimes, you know, to do a, a, a gallery show or a museum Is show. Is he still alive? No, he passed away mm-hmm. about 20 years ago. And then he, he said, you know, you should just, he said, I give you an advice. You just should ask the artist about their dream, about their unrealized project stuff they cannot do within the existing structure of museums and galleries and art fairs and biennales, and then you should try to help them to do that. And then I went back on the train and I told You see, So it became that kind of thing, because it was almost like the internet before the internet, because either way there wasn't an internet, but I would go to these cities and have many, many encounters, learn a lot, and Mm -hmm. then go to the next city and tell the artists I met there and, and the curators and the writers and the philosophers, whom I had met. Mm. And, and so it became that chain reaction also of knowledge, which is not so different from what I had read earlier about what the monk did in the Middle Ages. You know, yes. they would basically be in a monastery, yeah. learn all the knowledge, and then they would be migrating monks. So I saw myself as a kind of a migrating monk. It was faster than in the Middle Ages because I had the night trains. Mm-hmm. And then uh, soon after Boetti, also so officially wise, I met Rosemary Trockel when I was 17. No. And so I went to Cologne. And that became another really crucial meeting for me which has a lot to do actually with what's happening this summer at the Serpentine with Lucita Rotado and Faith Ringold. Yeah. You no, know, neither of these two shows would ever have happened w- without me meeting, you know, Rosemary Trockel wow. in eighty five. Because I went to see Rosemary and we talked about her work and, and she again, like Boetti, gave me a very deep sort of advice because she says there's the thing, you know, at that time Louis Bourgeois just started to become famous. And and obviously Louise Bourgeois uh, was already in her 70s, 80s then and was recognized very, very late in her life. Mm-hmm. And she had exhibited much earlier, but the recognition came very late. And so Rosemary said, you know, as happy as I am for, for Louise to finally have the recognition she deserves, as upsetting it is that there are so many extraordinary women artists, you know, all over the world, like Louise Bourgeois, who are not being recognized. And she mm-hmm. said, one should just go from city to city and uh, ask in every city you know who is a Louis Bourgeois figure who is a pioneering artist one needs to revisit and she says you should not only because I always would look at young emerging artists it was always also about supporting artists at the beginning of their trajectory she said you should not only do that you should also look back because there is amnesia and certain artists need a rediscovery and so I was, you know, and she said, but I'm an artist. I can't do that. My, you know, my work is to be an artist. But you're a young curator. You have time. Just go to all these cities. And then again, I would just do it. I would go from city to city. And, you know, that's how... And I would still do it. You know, whenever I'm in the city, I ask, is there a pioneering artist? And that's how a few years ago, you know, Bettina Korek told me about Lucita Hurtado. And we went to the studio in L.A. And she's now 98 and has been painting since the 30s. And, yeah, amazing. And um, was friends with Duchamp. And, of course, uh, you know from the very beginning felt that she had a responsibility to the world, to the planet. She was one of the very early artists working with ecology. Um, she, she also was uh, part of, the, in the 60s already, of the feminist movement. Earlier on, she was connected to surrealism. Wow. Never part of a movement, always very autonomous. Again, you know, not in a box, a very free thinker. Huh? But, but she did never, she
0: know Max Ernst and Dorothea Tanning and people like that? Yeah, very
2: she, well. And she was married to Wolfgang Palen, one of the oh, surrealists, right. wow. one of the Austrian surrealists. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Not only did she know that she was friends wow. with all the surrealists and part in Mexico, you know, of this exile community mm. of surrealism then and then part of the, after the war in San Francisco, of the avant-garde movements there. and And so, you know, she had never had a show at that time and still until today until the Serpentine has not had a museum show wow so um, but did she
0: say you take in Boetti's advice did you go to her and ask her what is your dream that's not been realized we did did.
2: and she she basically said you know that of course at 98 she has uh, almost seven. yeah she has more than 70 years of work I mean some works are from the 1930s so so she said the dream is of course to see it once all together you know and so and because she always said she knew one day her time would come and to see it all together. So then I said, you know, let's do a retrospective. Wow.
1: And this is an ongoing
2: um, story that we're hearing more and more and more
1: with lots of different artists. And you mentioned also Faith Ringgold. Yeah. And um, it's a very similar case with Faith, where Faith was making work for, for decades, you know, for herself. And, but with, with the idea that one day... We would all catch up yeah. with her and with what she was trying to say. And she had such a clear vision. And I'm so inspired by Faith, particularly mm. this week. I've spent a lot of time thinking about her, thanks to this show. That, Did you um, see the film also? Yeah, it's just incredible. And um, I'm actually so deeply touched by it. And I'm so grateful that she exists and that she yeah. had that uh, perseverance and strength of character mm. to make art because she had no choice. But, you know, she was so, it was just brilliant. The whole story is so brilliant, but equally the work is so brilliant. And, um, um, I'm really happy that you know you and Melissa Blanchflower and the whole team here have have put on this incredible exhibition that I think is actually you know doing something to make positive change in the world and that's what for me art is about and I think you know it's probably why you've got into art too um, but talk about Faith as well so how did you first meet her?
2: No I'm so happy you you um I'm so happy you liked the show and we mm. felt it's a very urgent show and with uh with Melissa and our team in a similar way as with you know Rebecca Lewin, you know, we curated um um the FaZe show. Um it's the same with 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 uh, you know with uh, with FaZe that, that just has never been a survey of her work in Europe. And her work is so influential, she was born in, in nineteen thirty in Harlem, was part of the Harlem Renaissance. I mean, she grew up with people like Jacob Lawrence, Duke Ellington, you know, living in the neighborhood, being friends with the parents. Um, and um, uh, and then very early on studied art and has created these amazing amazing bodies of work. I mean, the work in the 60s, of course, is part of the civil rights movement. The uh, it's a really history painting she yeah. she created, but at that time, um, you know, was not exhibited a lot. And and um, uh, and of course, she, as opposed to Lucita, who never had a show, um, face did have exhibitions all over the United States, but she just never had these museum surveys, which I think she deserves and which are very important. And and certainly never in, in, uh, you know, in Europe. And she's been also a curator because she basically was involved in the National Black Feminist Organization in 73 with her then 18-year-old daughter, Michelle Ballas, um, has also curated exhibitions. So activism was always a part of that. And it's just this do-it-yourself spirit, which Mm -hmm. is in the work, which I think gives us courage. I think the important thing is, um, in this very complicated world is to you know to, to have courage that we can make a difference that everyone can make a difference to the planet and and so I think uh, and, and, uh, and and that's something uh, why art is so important I think we need art more than ever before the world yeah. needs art more than ever before now in the 21st century to connect century. people yeah yeah and to give us courage i think that idea of the immense i mean i get immense courage from face to continue so and we, i hope yeah. our viewers and visitors do as well because i think she gives us that i mean as she says it's you know we can yeah. fly mm. it's empowering and we can fly if you know only we if only we try and i mean a great story is also she then did after the um american people series um uh she did a whole you know other series is, which were basically um, always uh, about uh, a more diverse world which were about you know also about her about her voice you know getting out there and she even at the moment when the art world did not somehow recognize the work she always find a way in a DIY way to actually create this visibility and she, she told us this wonderful story that um, uh, she wrote her memoirs and the publisher turned her down and wanted to change her story so, so she says that's outrageous because wants of to course, change her story though. yeah so it's like censorship wow. right and so and so then she, she felt you know that is my story yeah. I want to tell my story I'm not going to tell it differently yeah. so they had a falling out with the publisher and then she thought how can she publish the story anyhow so then she came up with this amazing idea that he, she could just write it on quilts so it became basically the book becomes a painting And that's what you can see in the show, her quilts. Uh, And it's also fascinating because, in a way, people spend a lot of time in the exhibition. And some people look at painting, but some people read. It's like in a library. It's autobiographical completely. And and it's both. It's both a painting and a book. Uh, And then, of course, the amazing thing happened that she did these quilts where she brought together personal stories and also the history of African Americans, basically, she she it's a story which was passed on to her by her great great grandmother, Susie Shannon, who was born into slavery, and basically, um, uh, it's it's about memory. It's very much about memory, and I think you know it's important memory as as Faith is telling us because we live in an age. Again, I mean, this year is the 30th anniversary of the World Wide Web, which Tim Berners Lee invented in 1989, and we of course today have more information than ever before but that does not necessarily mean that we have more memory maybe how
0: do how do you cope with that because you want to know everything so the (laughs) fact that you've got as much information as you can get you must go insane how do you slow that down how do you stop yourself
2: yeah i mean by delinking you know there are always moments when i mean when when I have conversations, when I make studio visits I delink and I don't look at the phone and so you slow I put sometime. it on yeah. airplane mode, it's yeah, you yeah. know it, it, it's it's I'm offline, I go offline. I think delinking, there are moments of linking and moments of delinking. Okay. Ryan
1: Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. it's so powerful because, like you say, these days, yes, we've got all this access to endless knowledge, um, but we're not always clear where that knowledge is coming from or who's who's writing what we're yeah. reading and, you know, what the actual truth of things is. If you think of fake news and all the stuff going on, you know, with American politics yeah. or what have you, but even in China, you know, there's kind of erasures of history and different religions and different cultures still to this day, like right now, it's happening. But
2: I think it's 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 also got to do with a, a show I've actually curated this year with posters, which is called It's Urgent. Yes. I In a way, no, because it's there's so many, you know, Issues in the world and, and and the way how artists can tell us about them and 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 can actually also translate them and create a conversation yeah. around them and I think we need we need these conversations and I think uh, so we've we've done an exhibition it was at the moment of the European election on May 26 so it happened in Denmark on all the billboards and um, so all over the country I curated billboards and, and that has now become a travelling exhibition it's at the moment in the West Bar in Zurich and then going to go around the world where many artists are doing posters and billboards that hasn't been in London yet though no not yet and the idea is that basically we are asking artists you know what is urgent because I feel our today is more urgent than ever before but I you know I want to listen to artists what they think is urgent yes and this idea again of listening I think it's important to listen also the the, 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 the quality of listening it's a very important thing in mm. in, the, in, the, in the 21st century. So so anyway, that's a, that's a billboard show. And that, of course, means also that we, we go without, you know, to the people, that we go without into society. And I think that's a very important thing for now. I mean, the other day I came back from a trip very early and uh, like at 6 a.m. And the taxi driver dropped me because I went straight to the office and, and obviously he'd assumed that I, I would work here because no one would visit the park or the Serpentine at 6, 7 a.m. Um, so he said he always wanted to meet someone from the serpentine. So I said, you know, delighted uh, that he wanted to tell me a story. Um, and so the story is basically that he came to the park a few months ago with his daughter, teenage daughter, and all of a sudden the daughter ran into the pavilion. And uh, and then he had to find her and continue the walk and, you know, and he said she had some revelation because ever since she only wants to read architecture book and she now wants to study architecture. And wow. They're wow. inspired by Zaha Hadid and wants to become the next Zaha Hadid. And oh my and gosh, and, that's and awesome. Then I was a, a very touched because I think that's why- uh, How I long get, ago,
0: this is like four, no, how long ago was the Zaha Hadid
2: pavilion? Yeah, it wasn't, she didn't, she didn't see the Zaha oh, pavilion. Okay. Oh, right. No, no, no. But she a, actually saw one of the more recent pavilions. Yeah, yeah. But then through that, got into architecture and now, you know, became obsessed by Zaha Hadid Because of course, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's for her an inspiration also mm. as a pioneering woman architect. Yeah, yeah, who, yeah. yeah. Who, um, who has had such an influence and continues to resonate. And then I was kind of thinking, you know, I was very touched because that's why I get out of bed every morning. But then the second part of the story is really why I'm telling you the story. Because then um I asked him, you know, if they had also visited the gallery, because it's free admission, because we have free admission here for everyone, for more than a million people a year. And uh, he said, no. And I said, why? And there was a science. And, and then he said, actually, after the body said, if he really is thinking about it, he, he knows what to answer, because he really thinks that, you know, museums are not for people like him. And, you know, and there is still this threshold that for certain people, it just wouldn't come to a museum. And I think... It's very important that we address that. Yes, and that we totally. go, And that's why the pavilion, you know, has no doors. That's why we do public art. We now have the Jakob Kutsteinsen, which is our first virtual pavilion, which is an augmented uh, architecture collaboration with Google Arts and, and Culture. And that's done, of course, with because we have um, uh, uh, at the Serpentine now a chief technology officer with Ben Vickers. We have a digital curator with Kay Watson, a whole digital department. Uh, and the idea is that that has become a very important part of what we do. Mm-hmm. And um, and so in addition to the Ishigami Pavilion this year, which again is very open, there are no doors, yeah. al- there is also the Digital Pavilion. And uh, the Digital Pavilion is an augmented architecture pavilion which has to do with ecology, with nature, where we can experience invisible aspects of the park. We can basically experience the bats. We don't see the bats during the day. Wow! Uh, we can experience many trees. We can. Ha- it's a deep listening to the park and makes the invisible park... Uh, in a way visible. And so that, that idea, you know, that it creates an interface mm. digitally, but also in an analog way with the pavilion, with public art, means that we have to go outside our space. And that's also why we now go to Barking Dagenham and have a collaboration with uh, the leader of Barking Dagenham and the community there. And our whole education project, uh, part of that is happening there. Projects are going to happen there.
0: Why, why, Barking and Dagenham?
2: Because they had an know they basically had a, an open call, and they invited several institutions to make proposals of what could happen there. And we participated in that because we felt it's very important. Yeah. You know, because also you have so many. I went people. to college in Barking. That's incredible. In
0: Barking College, yeah. Wow, because so and many pe- families from so many
2: so many people have actually told us that you know. That a, that a percentage, an important percentage of teenagers who grew up in Barking Dagenham have never been to London. So they obviously have never been to the Serpentine. Wow. And, and and so it's important that we can it's go really there, important. can yeah, do yeah, programs. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And haven't you done that recently as well in Peckham? Didn't you do an off site? Like pavilion or something. Yeah, we do
2: um, with Arthur Jaffa. The Arthur Jaffa, the Arthur Jaffa idea was that he, because he said the same thing when we had Arthur Jaffa, he yeah. he wanted to use his exhibition to bring in many voices. That's also yeah. interesting in relation to technology because he said there are all these artists who who work on Instagram and YouTube and they're not to be seen in the gallery space. Yeah. So through his exhibition, he brought in Frida Orupedo. Who never had exhibited in the gallery? She was only on Instagram, and Amazing. brought her into the gallery space. But then oh, he says so she didn't sign with Gavin Brown. That's who
0: Gavin Brown Enterprise. Yeah, yeah right. So she signed after he got her. The yeah,
2: show. He the first right. show she ever had in a in a you know in a in a in an exhibition we'll space outside Instagram was it through Arthur Jaffer because wow. he said we have to bring practices because there's so many you know practices which are not necessarily of the museum or gallery network, right. and it's important as Arthur Jaefer says that we we look at those practices and can bring them into the world of museums. But then he said. We need to also do the other movement, which means we need to go with the work into society. And that's why he refused to show Love is the message. Yeah. One of his main works in the Serpentine show. And he said, you know, he wanted to build a tent and have it in different neighbourhoods. And, uh, you know, we didn't get planning permission everywhere because yeah. it needed planning permission. But ideally, it would have been shown in many, many different neighbourhoods. But it did ultimately go outside the gallery.
1: That's so brilliant. And he's really great as well because he does, he's, he's thinking of different mediums and yeah. bringing them all together. And I think that idea of togetherness is such a powerful kind of, mm. you know, thing for us all to be thinking about and stopping so isolationist mm. or whatever. Um, so we have so an office really now in
2: Barking, Dagenham, and our, you know, our curator, nice. Amal Khalaf is there and, and, and so yeah the Serpentine uh in this year and then particularly in twenty twenty is, is in Kensington Gardens and in Barking Dank. Wow. We have to go.
1: That is so cool. Yeah. So we could do a I'm meeting. Gonna go there
2: back with to barking. You. We can do a meeting there with you would be pick great. Time. Let's do it. Let's do a barking meeting. I love that. Um
0: what's what's the proudest show you've had here for you?
2: Um I mean there are many exhibitions um I could mention. It's always difficult to pick out one. I mean for me of all the shows I've done or curated um, maybe Do It is um, which is still ongoing is the exhibition I'm happiest with because it never ended no and it's just it's still ongoing we started it in 93 so it's been uh, touring for 26 years so cool uh, What's non-stop. this show we'll do it this do sh- it yeah so it's basically a show where I um, invited artists to write an instruction a how to manual it's kind of a DIY idea right. and then it can be interpreted so uh, it's not the transport. It's not doesn't involve crates. People can just do it. It's open source, and uh, so it's been realized in modern 160 museums, in art schools, in colleges, in all kinds of different contexts. So where do you get
0: this manual from?
2: Uh, we uh, we 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 did it. It was that was the work, the crucial work, is to invite artists. I've invited about 200 artists to write an instruction piece.
0: Yeah, where do you get the instruction piece from, though? Is it a physical? Yeah, the one? artists write it. They
2: wrote it. We so you, invited. you asked
1: them to write. A DIY manual kind of idea, like that—that's the invitation, yeah. and then the artist will write whatever it is, what the instructions are.
2: It's a, in a similar way, like you know, with my Instagram, the artist would write. Um, so it's like a treasure hunt type thing, or what? What is it like? No, it's a very open. It's a. It's like an open scar. It's more like a music. You know, when you have a a musical scar, can be played in different places. You don't need to ship anything. You just got it, got download it. the scar and then you play it. And so in a way, you know, the idea was to apply that to an exhibition so that that, uh, uh, that these instructions can be realized. And some of these instructions have been realized now many, many, many times. And each time it's different because it's locally interpreted different. And and what makes me very happy with this project is it's now part, in New York, of some school curriculum. So in weird. some high school, you know, it's part of the curriculum that students basically realize a Franz West Passtück or a Louis Bourgeois. Louis Bourgeois invites us to go into the city and to smile. So it's not only, you know, objects, it's sometimes also things...
0: Is there there a a database somewhere of every artist that's contributed?
2: Yeah, we have our archive. Books have been published. uh, And then it's also online on EFLUX. And uh, the ICI has been touring it through universities, independent curator in corporate. Uh, It was in the Manchester International Festival a few years ago. We did a retrospective. And that show is a great inspiration of what we want to do now also um, at the Serpentine with ecology because we for us I, I think it's very important when at the moment when the Serpentine turns 50 because next year we are 50 and uh, so it's 1970 and then 2020 so we've been thinking that of course it's important to remember the past and have a, an online archive of all the shows and all the projects but more importantly we wanted to look into the future and so we thought it's important to think about 2070. you know, what, what are the next 50 years and and we live in an age of mass extinction, of uh, massive ecological disasters and, and uh, uh, a mass extinction not only of species about a million species are threatened but also um, us, us mm-hmm. and also a mass extinction of cultural phenomena, languages disappear, so we want to make that very much the theme of the Serpentine 2020 um, uh in a way, how, how to actually fight extinction, but how also, in a way, make ecology very center stage, which is why now also we have, with Lucia Pietrojusti, a curator of ecology, and that we have the General Ecology Project, the whole, the whole department. And, of course, that sort of whole idea of do it is inspiring in relation to that. So how an exhibition can be more than just a one-off thing, you know? that it's Because if you think about ecology and about extinction... That's not something which is going to be done in 2020. We need to do this for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And and that means it should be a project which is going to continue to evolve. And that idea of of Do It is that. It's an exhibition which never never stopped. Wow.
1: And actually, you've been someone quite uniquely in a way that has always been quite aware of trying to bring together science and art and the power of bringing those things together. Um, I think you've been interested in that quite early on, haven't you?
2: Yeah, I did some projects uh, actually in, in in the 90s about art and science. And I always felt that it's important that we go beyond. I mean, in any case, I became a, a curator also because of Diaghilev. I forgot to mention it at the beginning because you asked yeah. me about the beginnings. <laughs> One thing which was also crucial was that as a teenager, I came across a book of the Russian impresario Diaghilev. And he was a painting curator and then uh, had this epiphany that he could bring together all the disciplines through the Ballet Russe. So he would do the Ballet Russe, the Rite of Spring. And, you know, he would bring together Stravinsky, who would do the sound, Mm -hmm. these amazing dancers and choreographers with whom he worked. He'd have Picasso or Goncharova do the stage sets and create this kind of Gesamtkunstwerk through ballet. And that for me was a huge inspiration that we bring through the medium of the exhibition, the disciplines together. And then later, of course, It also became clear to me that we can only address the the big topics of the 21st century, some of which I've mentioned like extinction, ecology, inequality, that we can only address that if we come out from our silos, if we don't stay within silos that everybody needs in that sense to collaborate, to cooperate. Silence did you say? Silo? What's that? Silo. How do you call it in English? uh, Silo, when you know when s-i-l-o. No idea. It's a structure
1: for storing bulk materials Silos are used in agriculture to store grain. Oh, like a... Yeah, they're like these kind of...
0: Like a a barn.
1: Kind of, yeah.
2: A storage vessel thing. Yeah, Yeah. so these are silos. Right. And if you think about knowledge, you know, it's divided into these silos. Yeah. So we need to break through this and connect. connect yeah. okay. and, and so if th- that, that's why the image is sort of...
0: Uh, so it's just se- about segregation, basically. Yeah, exactly. Se- yeah, segregated. Yeah. Okay. To go
2: beyond the fear also of pulling knowledge versus a fear to go into other fields from we understand. And so particularly, you know, and it, of course, has to, has to happen with, with art also that, you know, we, we connect the forces of visual arts. We can only understand if we understand what's happening in music, in literature, yeah. in in, in theatre, in film... Um, in architecture and design which what we're doing here but 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 one has to go further than that because there is a kind of a divide of two cultures that's sort of a two culture divide between the humanities and, and science and I always yeah. felt that we need to bridge that gap and so, so in the 90s I did some conferences which tried to do that like we did a conference called Art and Brain where we invited artists to Germany's biggest science center in Jülich and uh, it was announced as a big conference but the day when everybody arrived i decided that we canceled the conference and that it's just a coffee break so um everybody just had a chat and a lot of things happened because people got to know each other wow. and they didn't just deliver what they yeah, had prepared yeah. but they and so then did
0: people freak out when you first did that were they like what you can't do this you can't do this
2: yeah, it was a bit of an anxiety but then at the same time people really embraced it and Great. they had a had lots of conversation and then we did the show laboratorium the book is there yeah you know and Uh, That was basically also about art and science in 1999 in Antwerpen, where we, we brought together uh, with Barbara van der Linden, you know, many scientists, artists to talk about the studio and the laboratory, and we visited scientific labs with the visitors, we installed, uh, we asked artists to install labs in the museum, we visited artists' studios. So and and was this idea how can an exhibition be a laboratory of new ideas? So yeah, it's always been there that that connection yeah. to science.
1: It's yeah. so unique that though I think and it's it's brilliant that you were able to make that kind of part of your mission in a way, and to bring different um, yeah. disciplines together. Mm. Um, and one thing I've loved that you've done as well was a brief history of curating. I just want to quickly yes. mention this because it is so important because yes. you are obviously a curator. And when I think about Serpentine, you know, I thought when we were coming to meet you, I was trying to think of shows that have had a long lasting impact on me. And I'd say 90% of them were women apart from Gustav Metzger, because that show was incredible exhibition, but you know, Rebecca Warren, de Barlow, there's just so many, Rose Wiley, Rose Wiley uh, Helen Martin, like all these exhibitions. And you've actually shown such a large number Mm -hmm. of women. So being a curator obviously comes with a lot of responsibility and um, you have to sort of, you know, like you say, listen. And I think it was so great that you realised as well that there wasn't really much of a document about what being a curator is and the history of it it all. So it's great that you made that book.
2: Yeah, I thought always in a way that it was very strange when I kind of started, everybody always said, you know, does it come from Harald Seaman and and of course, you know Harald Seeman is the legendary Swiss curator, and mm-hmm. he was an influence. But I mean, there are so many more curators who who were somehow doing incredible work in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, whom I met, and they uh, weren't recognized, and they weren't really recognized. And and so I felt it's kind of important to write this history, and and uh, or at least I mean, one can never write the entire mm. history, but make a small contribution maybe mm. to write that history. And so I did. And you've I, written yourself in there not really No, no. I was yeah. mostly listening right. yeah
1: no but he doesn't need to write himself in yeah. there he wrote the book
2: yeah. <laughs> but in a way I was mostly listening to to, to their history to these different histories I mean and, and also just it's a way of recognizing you know the people from whom I by whom I was inspired and mm. for example Lucy Lippard you know Lucy Lippard is so relevant now because I mean she is not only one of the key figures of conceptual art and curated exhibitions with postcards with instructions you know so do it came from her wow but also she early on understood the importance of ecology and you know moved to the countryside and started to work in very rural so where is she from Uh, she's from from the us she now lives in new mexico she was part of the new york art world and then decided to move to new mexico and really works you know in very rural contexts works with topics of ecology environment land art but environmental art very early on like Agnes like Denis is an artist who worked early on with land, you know, art, but from a from a very ecological point of view. And then, mm. and, uh, and so someone like Lucy Lippert just felt incredibly important. So I wanted to record her, her voice. And then, um, of course, also people like Walter Hobbs no, who um, uh, the American curator, and 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 so that and that generation. They were all still. I mean, Lucy Lippert is still alive and working, mm. but many of them are no longer working. I mean, and Dan Alcour died, and uh, also Walter Hobbs died. So it was a moment to just kind of record these voices and uh, and recognize them. And that became Brief History of Curating. And then I was always asked to write a, a book and, and um, I, I thought in a way um, that that book could somehow be, and we did this together with us at Raza, could be a book and that became ways of curating where I've kind of tell my story, but through the people I met, you No, know? And so in that sense, it's it's a book, you know, about my life, but it's actually mainly a book about the people whom I I love and admire, They're inspired by, yeah, wow, amazing, That's so great. Thanks. I
1: also think about things like um, Yoko Ono um, when I think of you. I don't know why, but I I, I saw her show here, and I, I I love the positive messages that she has for the world, mm. and that her and John Lennon like had when they when he was alive as well, like the kind of simplicity of the way that she can communicate in such a powerful and positive kind of hopeful way. Yeah. And Not also Marina Abramovich, because I came to that exhibition here and I remember her taking me you by she the took hand. You you by the hand. You have yeah, experience. Exactly. You. Yeah. But that exhibition as well. And there's the, 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 these artists who have such powerful Another messages yeah. in such a direct way of communicating. Yeah. And I think you yourself are able to somehow, you know, put on those kind of shows.
2: Yeah. I think it's exciting also in a way that the, idea of this of the solo show you know the idea that actually because the serpentine and in that sense it's it's really for 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 many artists the perfect building because it's it's in a park and Mm. there are always trees and Mm. and i think i mean once said a day without seeing a tree is a is a wasted day and i think annie's wala said something similar and i always have to see trees and so i think artists love this idea that you know we're here with trees in the park but also When they do a show here, they they have the whole building. You know, it's not that there is... A room. Yeah, or any other shows next to it. It's not like a kind of a a mixed situation Mm -hmm. where the artist is alongside a collection and other artists and a restaurant and a cafe and a theatre. It's just uh, a a, Gesamtkunstwerk. The artist can take over the building. And that, of course, can lead to a lot of different gestures. You know, Matthew Barney would not only climb the walls and do one of his drawing restraint, but he would decide that the doors have to be open. Then Trisha Donnelly decided that she wanted actually the doors not only to be slightly open, but completely open so that people could come from the park and she would basically create a sound installation so that people could hear the sound from outside and walk in and come and check out what it was. And, um, uh, and then at the same time, you know, you have Marina Abramovic who came up with a different the show you saw, which came up with a very different rule of the game mm. because she basically wanted us to hand over the keys. So we handed over the keys of the gallery. She came here every morning, opened the gallery, literally took over and uh, created this situation. People had to leave their phone and uh, had to really delink and then be in silence and somehow follow her... Um, yeah, follow her instructions, but also follow the experience where they would fall asleep. They might also uh, have an experience in the gallery they never had before. Many people came back very, very regularly. Some people came every day during that show. So I think that idea, you know, that the artist can take over the entire building and literally get the keys in a metaphorical, or in Marina's case, in yes. the real sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, um, is part of it. It's, and it's I part guess of... that
1: is part of the dream, in a way, because they're getting to create a complete universe somehow.
2: And people can then enter the world. I mean, like yeah. even like with um, with uh, virtual work, like with Ian Cheng when it was the first AI show. We did I love here. that show, yeah. and 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 Bob, became was the, Bob? the world yeah. of Bob. So, so to be with Bob is all we ask, and it's a Bob world after all. And so people <laughs> came here, and they could be with Bob, and and it's the first artwork they might have encountered with a nervous system.
1: Yeah, we're currently working with um, a magazine called Hunger, and we're looking at sound art. Yeah, um, are there is there sound art that you've you've um, had in your exhibitions before that, or artists that you respect who work with sound
2: yeah I mean we always uh, explore sound as a very as a very important dimension I would say in the work I mean we just did uh, uh, basically an ecology conference which Lucia Pietro Justi curated which um, we will get you the text afterwards where sound played a very central role we um, we have a lot of park night programming so the park yes, nights which we curate with Claude Agile they happen in um, they happen in the pavilion, and the idea is that the pavilion is almost like used as a musical instrument. So we always, on Friday nights, invite a musician, a composer, a visual artist, a fashion designer to actually do something with a poet with the pavilion and play, play that pavilion. And so that's, uh, we're working with several you know musicians and composers to do that. Um, Albert Erlen's exhibition, which is coming up in October, where Albert will create a kind of a new Rothko chapel, in, really? Uh. In, the, in the Serpentine, it will, be kind of, it will be very different from the Roscoe Chapel, but it's his idea of a chapel. Oh, cool. And uh, the Roscoe Chapel, of course, is silent. They, sometimes they play Martin Fellman's piece of music he made, but that happens only every couple of years. Whilst this, the chapel here will have sound and be, he's programming bands and electronic music oh, amazing. in relation. So that's uh, an aspect of sound. And then we are working, of course, on a, on a, on a big project with Brian Eno. Because uh is is uh, p- one of the great pioneers of sound totally, yeah. in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's also our neighbor. I often go on walks with him because oh, he lives wow. on the other side of the park, uh, and he's been very often part of our marathons, which are the knowledge festivals. We do these marathons always around a the theme where we bring together fifty practitioners, and you mm-hmm. know, th- to to talk, perform, and Brian did a lot of performances as part of the marathon. But we realized that there had never been a bigger exhibition in London uh, with Brian. So we feel it will be very exciting in 2020. That's his great. Brian project. Yeah. That's
1: really important because he is totally genius.
2: Yeah. So there is a lot with sound. So we ask all of our guests two questions,
0: which you probably know of, because you said you've listened to talk yeah, art. You know. They're very, very hard. Our first question is, if you were to perform an art heist, if you were to steal a touchstone artwork that you could take away anywhere in the world and take it home to be with you forever, what would that be?
2: Yeah, I will answer that at the end because I still haven't uh, come to a conclusion about what it should be because I believe I'd rather, you know, I'd rather have this artwork on public display for You're many so people You're so generous. To see that's yeah. lovely of you. I mean, that's kind of my answer. I wouldn't <laughs> You've know, got to be selfish. <laughs> I wouldn't want to kidnap an artwork because I'd rather, you know, all my favorite artworks I think should be there for everyone. I mean, Tim Berners-Lee says when he invented the World Wide Web in 1989, he um, this is for everyone. It was also the motto, the slogan when he performed in the London Olympic ceremony. And you know, now we celebrated all the 30th anniversary of the World Wide Web um, in March 2019. And of course, Tim Berners Lee is extremely worried because net neutrality is endangered and, and the, he, he really does not want net neutrality to go away. Together with Rosemary Lee, they have they have a foundation to save net neutrality. And and of course. The loss of net neutrality would mean that there is a fast internet for people who pay and, and, and the slow internet for people who don't pay. Right. So, um, so, so he says, you know, this is it's for like everyone. Healthcare. And I believe that, you know, I want all my favorite artworks to be there for everyone. So I Maybe think they- you
1: need a free art that's like locked up in someone's storage or something.
2: <laughs> I guess you do that anyway in your, in your job because you, you loan work. So
1: actually you're already doing that. Um, and our second question is, what is your favorite color? Which is may seem simple, but actually some people have very deep answers.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, identity is shifty. As says latin identity is a choice, and so I think, in a way, that's that's always that's always that's always changing. But I would today, say, today, what is it today? But I, but I would say it's very often red. Really? Is it? Yeah, because I think it's you know it's again what they said. You know, when you, you have been. You have many colours in the painting. Always red kind of has a very strong presence. Yeah, but you've I You've I've... mentioned her
0: a lot. She's had a big influence. I know. In Russell leadership. and I both
1: live with her work and we're both massive fans of both Etel Adnan yeah. and Simone Fatel. Yeah, we and MoMA, we just went PS to MoMA PS1, and... PS1 recently and saw some Yeah, movies. I
2: have to see her very regularly uh, because it always gives me a lot of hope that we can change the world. It gives me a lot of positive energy. And I think her work does that. Yeah, And her writing. Her work yeah. and her writing mm. gives us this positive energy. Uh, so, you know... She's not
0: done a show here yet. Yeah,
2: she has. When there was, was the a show solo it? show about uh, four years ago. What was it? Oh, I didn't yeah, see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know and if that I was saw a... that
1: weirdly. I, I saw an amazing show by her in Beirut.
2: Yeah. And it completely changed my life. Like it was in the Zaha in the building across the bridge. Yes, exactly, yeah. Here I mean, we had a solo show of her with, about, with quite a lot of paintings, great. drawings, leperellos. Like and uh, yeah, and she Edna says red always wins. Really? Yeah, which I think is kind of interesting in relation. Yeah. to... I them.
0: thought you'd say green because of the park. <laughs> I thought you were saying because you need to see trees every day.
2: No, I think I think green is definitely um, you know the color which is always with me, uh, and 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 I would also say that um, that the idea of of looking at the tree, I really can't, I really can't live without seeing a tree and, and, and very often, you know, when I'm in a hotel room and I don't see a tree, I really suffer. I think we need we need trees. And it's important also because the idea of gatherings under trees. I mean, when we did the pavilion with Francis Carre mm. who works between Berlin and Burkina Faso, he was explaining to us that, you know, his childhood was always under a tree. All the gatherings happened under a tree, which is why he designed the pavilion for us here. Um, and uh, that's, of course, very exciting that we... Could now, you know, more and more go into the uh, younger generation of architects. The mm-hmm. pavilion scheme has opened up uh, and we do a research into emerging generation of architects. This year the year before, was the youngest architect. Frida Escobedo, she's from Mexico. Yes, yes, And the year before was Francis Kere, who is from Burkina Faso in Berlin. And Kere talked about this idea. He wanted the pavilion to be like a tree. We have gatherings under a tree. So, yeah, so you're right. I love green too. But red just, always wins. Yeah. Well I was just
1: thinking about red though. It's the kind of for me red was always about like life force and blood and, and energy. You know, and energy. And I and, think I love energy. Yeah. But also the tree is too. So it kind of is a beautiful way to, so to, to end the, the show. I think we have to
2: decide. We can say both green and yes. red. It's exactly, you know, yeah. it's both and instead of either or, instead of instead of no no. What's your favourite? You favorite? need
0: you need red for the NG of all the information inside your brain. What's so, your favourite colour? Oh God, turn the tables. Orange, blue it changes, orange and blue orange
1: and pink but orange a lot in my life Yeah, I love orange, I Thank think it's really invigorating and yeah. kind of inspiring and I like wearing the colour orange if I wear orange I, f- I feel like I'm do you like of... orange juice? I love orange juice, okay. I
0: had some this morning did you? <laughs> my god, you didn't actually because we um, gave it away <laughs> but no I got some later oh, you did after, yeah, cool. after oh. so do you Thank have in
2: your, in your podcast so, a unicorn, somebody you couldn't uh, so far get we, you want, asked da- me we want David
0: Hockney yeah. That's the dream I, I actually want
1: really her. want Etel Adnan. I haven't actually oh, asked Etel her Etel yet, Adnan. so it's not that we couldn't get can her, you, but I haven't. Adnan, I haven't course. got around of to course. doing that. Can yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, of
2: course. We love Etel so yeah, and Simone. I would love to introduce both in of them. Uh, she's not traveling that much these yeah. days. She goes to the countryside in summer to escape the heat from Paris. And then she's in Paris, so you'd have to go to Paris. But yeah, yeah. If, if you're fi- if you're fine yeah. to travel there, you just let me know. And there's Simone there as well. Before yeah, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to meet you both. Well, them it's they're both it totally yeah. incredible. She'll be back in September.
1: Thank you so much. It it's been, been a such pleasure. a privilege Please to speak you. with you. It's been amazing. It's and, been amazing. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of artists that have worked with you, when I meet them, they'll often say what a privilege it was to work with you. And we yes. just saw Rose Wiley the other day and she said oh, what wow. a joy it had been mm-hmm. to, um, to spend time with you, particularly when she did her show here. We love um, Rose so much. Oh, She's just the best. Yeah, that Quack, quack. Brilliant yeah, show. Yeah, so great. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you very and much. And for everyone listening, you can see images of all the artworks we've spoken about in today's episode on our Instagram, at TalkArt. And you can follow Hans Ulrich on um, Instagram as well. What's your at? It's it's just my name at
2: Hans Ulrich Obrist.
1: At Hans Ulrich Obrist. And um, you can see all those incredible messages and handwriting, Mm. which we need to remember. Everyone keep keep writing on paper with pens. And take a photo of it. Take a (laughs) photo (laughs) of it. We'll be back very soon. Thank you. Thank you. you. Great to see you. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.